Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 122, Top 10 Two-Player Games. We'd like to thank the Origins team for having us at their fantastic 2017 convention. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony, we're back from Origins. Yeah. Future us, back from Origins. That went well. It was great. There were board games and publishers. And we met, enter their name here, and his associate. (laughs) (laughs) So we are not actually back from Origins yet. We are recording this in advance, but we wanted to make sure that you had an episode on your travels hopefully back from the Origins Game Convention, or at home, hearing about everything great that's happening from Origins. Don't worry, we will have our next episode talk about all the great things that we said and did and people we met and games we played. But that's going to be next week's episode. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm sure we had fun. Did we? But we won't know for sure. (laughs) It's Schrodinger's Origins. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it's fair to say that we played games, we met people, and we had a generally good time as we typically do at Origins. Almost certainly all those things, yes. Yes. (laughs) And we probably bought way too many games, but don't tell anybody because, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one thing I know for sure happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the anonymous part. We're not going to talk about that openly. Just between between us. Let's keep that between us. Yeah, we have cars this year. That's that's not good. (laughs) Don't drive to a convention. I was thinking about that when I'm trying to go like, all right, so what am I going to pack? Oh, I got to get this bottle and this travel size. I'm like, oh, no, I'm driving a car. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm driving a car. (laughs) Oh, man, I think last Origins, I was trying to like unbox and and squeeze everything into the overhead compartment. And this year I have a hatchback. So we don't have to (laughs) pre-unbox. It's going to end badly for me. Yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to Origins, or as you listen to this, we had a great time, and I am sure, at the very least, you can be following up or looking back at all of our Origins memories and things we did and games we saw, because we'll be posting that on our social media. So, if you want to find out or see all of those great Origin things, check out our Facebook page, check out our Twitter account. Check out BoardGamersAnonymous.com. That always has all of our content on there. Don't forget our iTunes and Stitcher account where you can listen to this podcast and rate us up. We also have our YouTube channel. So it's also a great place that if you can't get to your players, you can always listen to us there. We have our Patreon account for support. And don't forget, we have our Amazon affiliate link. It doesn't cost you a penny more, but it does help out the podcast a great deal, especially when we come back with all those games and we have to explain to our families what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So um, with that said, that's what's going on with us. Anthony, what's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week this week? All right. Question of the week. This week. Uh, 
This week, <laughs> yes. This week's question of the week, which is a question of the day from a couple weeks ago, okay. was what's a game you can't win no matter how many times you play? So uh, I think I probably just lost again to my wife at something. I was like, darn it. <laughs> oh, who else is having this problem? So I actually got a lot of answers to this. I think people kind of, it resonated a little bit. Uh, Willie says, Mission Red Planet. I have played this game with all sorts of player accounts and all sorts of different groups. It doesn't matter how solid I think my strategy might be, I have not come close to winning. James mentioned Quadropolis. His wife wins every single time. Uh, to a lesser extent, five tribes. I'd say she wins that one nine out of ten times. Let's see, Ronald says, Love Letter. He always loses to his wife as well. So a lot of I see a lot of people in the same boat as me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some of the other games here mentioned, Jolene mentions the Lord of the Rings co-op game from Reiner Knizia. Jesse also mentions Lord of the Rings from 2000, same game. Uh, the Grizzled, I don't know if that's really a fair answer, just because it's you're not supposed to win that. <laughs> um, <laughs> John mentions Imperial 2030, which I've not had a chance to win yet. And let's see, Stupid Power Grid. There you go. A couple people mentioned Stupid Power Grid, Forever Second Place. Sure. Um, and then another Lord of the Rings board game here from Twitter uh, from Charlie Foxley, at Charlie Foxley. So it seems like if we were going to do a vote, that Lord of the Rings board game from 2000 is pretty high on people's list. It can be any game. It's certainly, uh, for me, it's really anything I play against my wife. <laughs> I don't think I've beaten her. I think I've won a game of Catan at home ever. Wow. And Alhambra, I think I usually lose. So... Really, the ones that we play. Just don't trade your sheep, man. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, right? It's only it's the only thing you have to do. Enough random luck in that. I feel like it's just win by chance. But no, no. <laughs> oh, well, it happens. I think the game that it, I find kind of frustrating slash embarrassing is, the I guess, the most recent release, which is Ice Cool where everyone seems to have no problem flicking those penguins around corners, and my penguins straight up through their upright. Nothing like getting really crushed on a kid's game. Yeah, that's a good one. Really anything, dexterity. If my six-year-old beats me more than half the time at these games, now, granted, he's six, and I, I have these big fumbly <laughs> fingers, but still... I don't know, Anthony. Uh, it seems like maybe your family should be on this podcast instead of you. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. All right. So we've been talking about, obviously, playing games against very, very worthy opponents. And obviously, some of the most worthy opponents and some of the most worthy games that those things come down to would be the two-player games. So for our feature review later, we will be talking about the top 10 two-player games. Those games where you're really kind of facing down someone mano a mano and trying to come out, squeak out a win. And uh, these are the really the best games to uh, take a look at there. But before we get into that, Anthony, let's talk about our acquisition disorders. What do you have at bat for us? All right. So this is a game that I believe is coming in July, according to my FLGS owner, who is bragging about how they're getting it two weeks early, which is a thing that people do now. They release games two weeks early to the local stores, which is kind of cool. And that's The Godfather, Corleone's Empire. This is the Eric Lane Godfather game, not to be confused with the five other Godfather games that came out in the last two years that were not any good. To be fair, I have not played this yet, so I'm not saying it is good. I'm just assuming it's good because <laughs> it's Eric Lane. It is, of course, a dudes on a map game. It is a... I, mean, I think he calls it a thugs on a map game, but you know, same idea. Worker placement, hand management. The whole goal of the game is to have as much money as possible at the end, of course. Uh, you have a limited number of cards at any point in time. You have to also use some of those cards to pay tribute to the Don every round. There are all sorts of different things that I'm interested to in just to see how they do it. Drive-by shootings, 
in which you remove enemy tokens from the board, put them in the river. <laughs> it's just, it's funny to read the descriptions of the game because they don't use, it's not necessarily like board game uh, language that's being used. They're talking about, you know, kind of the language of the films. And I'm interested to see how that kind of correlates to the mechanisms that we all know and love, because I'm sure the game isn't that like outside the norm in terms of mechanics. But yeah, it's you're using cards and moving your guys and taking actions based on where you move your guys. So it's, it sounds like in terms of mechanics, it's going to have some things that we're familiar with, but with a little bit more of that, you know, in your face style that goes with this theme. So I'm pretty excited. There has not, in my opinion, been a good Godfather game yet. And Eric Lang certainly knows how to work his way around a theme. And the miniatures will be fantastic because it's Simon and uh, it's coming out real soon. So I'm hoping to at least see it at Origins. I, I know it's all booked up. I wasn't able to, to schedule a time to demo it, but maybe they'll have a you know a spare table at their booth. I can sit down for a round of it. So it sounds like a real kind of family game there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is definitely something I, I plan on losing to with my family. No, it's not. <laughs> well, a different kind of family game, more of the, the family uh, kind of uh, game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like kind of like how Vassal has Vassal's Law, which means that if a game is good enough, it's always going to come back into print. That maybe our law should be if Ang- Eric Lang is designing it, it's going to be a good game. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a given there, but you know, maybe that's Lang's law. Maybe we should leave that for him. Yeah. All right. So, uh, an interesting game that popped up recently is The Thing. Now, this is The Thing from this alien creature in the Arctic taking over people, trying to stay hidden. Horror movie, probably, I guess some would argue, at its best. And just like The Godfather, classic movie there, classic movie here, now this also has its own board game. So The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Now, there aren't a lot of details out about this game, but it's definitely something that everyone should be taking a look at because it seems to combine a number of outstanding elements. So you have some of the fun of like Betrayal on the House of the Hill where one of your party members is going to, at some point, just come out there and just you know wreck horror upon everybody and it's going to kind of change the game while during the normal part of the game you're trying to complete missions which kind of fits along the lines of like Dead of Winter. Now, this game is going to have a lot of the classic kind of movie scenes in here. So you're going to have, like, for example, taking blood samples and testing them in the Petri dish. And if you haven't seen the movie before, I won't ruin any of those things for you. But it really does try to really follow the movie while trying to accomplish a certain number of missions so that you win and the creature loses. So uh, this seems like a kind of worthy successor to Dead of Winter and Betrayal. Amongst a lot of other games, maybe even Battlestar Galactica, because it does have some of those kind of key movie roles that you'll be able to play as your characters. So I'm really looking forward to this. Big fan of the movie. And I think that this game looks really nicely done. And I'm really surprised about this. Yeah, it's crazy how many movies from the 70s and 80s are being made into board games now. Not forgotten IPs necessarily. The thing's a classic, but just... I remember when it was announced, I was like, that seems not random. It's just out of nowhere, right? Sure. It's just good to see that it's actually getting a good production instead of being like a theme that's being slapped onto some deck builder. It's actually getting a game with game mechanics. Yeah, and it's funny because that seems to be what happened first. It's like, oh, we can start slapping all these themes onto these different things. And then in the last two years, they're like, why don't we take some of these older properties and make really good games out of them? It's true. You know? 
or not so good games in the case of like Ghostbusters. But, you know, <laughs> or Big Trouble in China, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, have you seen the board game of that that's coming out? That I looks saw that. Interesting. Hopefully they'll have enough money to keep the artwork going throughout the game and not run out of money at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Upper Deck. I know. I know. We we love them. It's they just produce a they just produce a poor game there, but nonetheless. Yeah. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. Let's get onto the table, Anthony. What do you have for us this week? All right, more Simon games. Woo-hoo! Actually, it- Two that I had played recently at the same time, and I was like, which one do I want to talk about? And I think enough people have talked about Ethnos, and I'm going to hold that for now, maybe okay. do a video later. This one is Gekido Battlebots, or Gekido Battlebots, I'm not really sure. It is designed by Fel Barros and Romulo Marquez, and it is basically King of Tokyo with more fighting. You have, and this, this was actually an original game, I think it was maybe Brazilian, but uh, the original design of the game was Dragons, and the component quality was meh. So Simon picked it up. They updated it. They changed the theme. So now it's robots battling it out in an arena. It, the game takes about 30 minutes, probably not too much longer. Really, really does match up nicely against like King of Tokyo in terms of time and weight. And the basic idea of the game is so simple. You pick a target with your guy. You roll the dice. And then you try to get combos. And what you're trying to do is basically... Yahtzee. Uh, there are different Yahtzee combinations on your mat. You know, two two pairs, three of a kind, four of a kind, full house, and a couple others. And each of those will unlock different attacks that you can do, um, different amounts of damage you can do, um, as well as special abilities. When you get hit, it unlocks other abilities you get. So you get stronger as you take damage throughout the game, which is pretty cool. Um, you kind of get to control which of those things unlock, too, which is even cooler. And Everyone has these different cards that come out similar to King of Tokyo, like the power-up cards that you'll be able to play at different times. Some of them will make your powers stronger. Some of them are reactive if somebody hits you, but pretty basic stuff. Something like, you know, my kids could understand. They're not they're not like crazy weird strategic cards. The, the main thing anybody will notice with this game is the component quality. So the miniatures or models, you might even say, are pre-painted, pre-assembled. They look fantastic. I think there's five or six of them in the box. So you get a lot of really, really nice looking miniatures. That is the main thing you'll see, the, the, the big standout point of this game. Does it replace King of Tokyo, though? It is very similar mechanisms. It is just straight fighting, though. Uh, and there's no point option to win. So if you're playing with, like, say you have a kid who's not very confrontational, they're probably not going to enjoy this because you have to fight each other. You can't really gang up on somebody, though, because in your turn, you can only attack... You can only attack one person per round or something. You can't just keep attacking the same person over and over again. You have to kind of rotate through them. But at the same time, you're just constantly attacking. So I think it's fantastic. It was a lot of fun. It's a it's a really good blend of more battle without making it too fiddly. The main problem here that's pretty hard to overlook is how expensive it is. It's 65 MSRP, I think, maybe 60. It's, it's up there because of those models that it comes with. And with the new pricing policy, you're not going to get it for too much less than that. You're going to be paying at least $50 for this game. Comparing that to King of Tokyo, yes, they're only standees, but you can get that game for 30 bucks. So if you really like the miniatures, if you think that's going to make a big difference, if you want something with a lot more combat, it's awesome. If you can get it at a good price, definitely. The game is a lot of fun, and it's really well done. But at that price point, it's really hard to recommend for something of this weight. So there you have it. I give it a strong play. Um, it's hard to recommend it a buy at this price, but it is, uh, it's a pretty good game. Well, another game that uh, I got a chance to play that's obviously 
on the lighter side these days is Sushi Go Party. Now, this is a drafting game, kind of a la Seven Wonders, but it kind of utilizes the set collection mechanic a little bit more. So what you're going to do is get your standard hand of cards, you're going to pick a card, and the choices of cards are all these different types of Japanese delicacies. So you can have edamame, you can have tofu, you can have miso soup, but there's also going to be chopsticks and spoons and takeout boxes and soy sauce and tea, and there's going to be a menu there, and there's going to be dessert. So with the Go Party Box, what you're going to be able to do is actually create a game from the different various decks that you can kind of put together. So if you played it one way, and maybe you just played Sushi Go and it kind of ran out of steam for you, this party one is actually really the way you should go. I would recommend this above the, the, the plain old Sushi Go because this allows you to make the game slightly more complex or add some more special cards to it. And I, I like that because I, I think that we haven't seen a lot of good drafting games in a while, especially for large groups of people. And Sushi Go Party does play a lot of people at the table. And I really like that because I think if you're going to introduce gamers into hobby gaming, you need something that typically is going to be colorful and light. And it's going to be something that is going to make someone continue to come back to the table because you can swap things out, but you still get the same gameplay. And I think that's essential. This kind of fits in the same line as the more recent release, which was uh, Forbidden Fruit, as far as a light kind of deck-building game, and yet it kind of meets everyone's expectations because gamers are going to get to play different types of special abilities, and new gamers are going to get introduced to the hobby. So Sushi Go Party does very well. Um, Each of the cards typically have, if you collect X number of those, you score X number of points. And then there's going to be special cards that are going to mix things up. So one card may allow you to pick a card for somebody else. Or one card may allow you to wait on to pick up cards later in the game. So it offers enough variety and it offers enough depth that I I think that a hobby gamer can get through this and actually smile a little bit. Or at least a little smile. And I think the family will enjoy this and new gamers will appreciate that. So I would say this is a, a play. Yeah, I've still yet to play this game for some reason. I don't I don't know why. <laughs> it's yeah, been everywhere. Th- this it's missed me for a long time. It was only recently thanks to our friend Howard that I was able to get this to the table. And like I said, I was a little apprehensive because it looked so cutesy cartoonish as far as that's concerned, but you know, it's set collection and it's different setup. So the table really enjoyed it and I was like, "Oh, I know these mechanics. It's fine." So it's it's a fine it's a fine play for it's a good gateway game, I could say. All right, so that's everything that's in our table. Now on to our feature review. All right, so now we're talking about our top 10 two-player games. You know, the games where you get one great opponent and you want to get a game that really fits a one-on-one battle. You know, sometimes you get those three or four-player games that you could play at two players. You know, it always has that two to eight-player count and just, it's a little iffy here. You really want to come down and play a straight two-player game. Sometimes it doesn't get a lot of table time, but the games are actually excellent. So, Anthony, let's give them a little, you know, sunshine and introduce them to everybody. So, what is our number 10 game? Right, number 10. Uh, this is actually from a designer that, uh, very, up until very recently, lived a block away from me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually owned the game before I moved here, so that was kind of cool. Uh, that's Morels. 
Uh, it's by Brent Povis. And the whole idea of morels is that you're out for a nice hike and you are picking mushrooms that you will cook up and eat later. There's a tableau of different cards out and you are basically trying to get the right mushrooms together, collect sets of them, uh, trade in two or more to get sticks, to expand your options, or cook three together uh, to earn points towards winning the game. There are poisonous mushrooms as well you have to avoid. And it's just a nice laid back accessible game because it's about cooking and like a nice jaunt in the woods it has a little bit of a memory element to it uh and it's a lot of fun um he has another game out called agility and i think they just kickstarted uh, an expansion or second version of morels so a lot of interesting things happening uh with these kind of unique themes uh from this designer okay all right so what about our number nine game uh number nine is jaipur jaipur uh you, you may have heard of it recently just because they just launched an app yes. um, on the phone and the iPad. Yep. Um, and probably Android devices, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically what it is is you have a tableau of cards and you're just – you're every round you'll be taking one from um, the cards that are out or you'll take all the camels and you will then collect different sets of cards up to your hand limit and then trade them in in future turns for – um, points that are available from the table. So basically what you're trying to do is manage your hand, get the more valuable things out of there, but also make sure you're getting things that you can actually use for for the future and then have a nice stockpile of camels at any given point in time so that you can uh, uh, trade in for a lot of good stuff if good things come up. Um, it's quick. It's very quick. It's easy. It's pretty straightforward to set up and um, takes very little time to teach. And so the app is fantastic for all those reasons, but with the, the card game is also quite good. All right. Sounds good. And what about our number eight choice? All right. Number eight is the one LCG we threw on here. Obviously, Fantasy Flight has a whole bunch of LCGs, many of them, two players. But the one that kind of rises above all the rest as the uh, best in breed is Android Netrunner. Uh, You have the asymmetrical gameplay of the, the corporation versus the runner. You have the dozens of different sets to draw from and build decks out of. You have the very, very healthy competitive scene, but also just, you know, it's a fun game to play if you can find someone else to play with. The main issue with Netrunner is it's a little bit harder to teach, so you can't just drop it on the table and play it with your spouse if they've never played it before, you know, without a little bit of setup time. Um, but of all those LCGs that play two, this is this is the best. Okay. And what about our number seven choice? All right. This is 1775 Rebellion. Is one of... I think three games now in the Birth of America series from Academy Games. Uh, this is about, obviously, the birth the, the, the American Revolution. And so one player plays the British, one player plays uh, the Americans. And you can play four players. There are different. There are four different factions, but it is basically the same if you play those two sides. And it is area control through and through. You have cards that will determine where you place things and when you place them. Uh, and you're basically trying to gain control of enough different territories on the map that you can claim victory once the different treaty um, conditions are met. So a lot of back and forth. It is very much a tug-of-war game, and it can last 45 minutes or about two hours, depending on how long that tug-of-war takes. But it is fantastic, and you feel smarter after playing it. Okay, what about our number six choice? Number six is Santorini, Cult of the New. This is a uh, this is a fun little abstract game. It looks absolutely fantastic. Way, way overproduced. But... The game itself is quite good and deserves that overproduction. You are stacking up little housing pieces with your two architects, and 
um, playing your god cards uh, that have you know special power uh, throughout the game and basically trying to get your guy to the top of one of these towers. And if you can do that, you win. And you spend most of the game blocking somebody else until they can kind of uh, make their final move. Okay, what about our number five? Number five is Star Realms. This is a modern classic. This is the, I'm not going to say the original two-player deck builder, but it is the one that any other two-player deck builder is basically modeled on these days. Um, it is quick. It is fast. It is just a small deck of cards. I mean, there are now many, many cards you can add to this, but the original deck was just one deck. And there is a lot of depth to this, to the point where they have built out multiple expansions, a second version that's a fantasy version, um, tournaments, apps. It, it's just this whole ecosystem unto itself. It's a fantastic game. Okay. How about our number four choice? You can't talk about two-player games without Command and Colors, and the one that has really had the, the, the longest legs and built the largest following, in my opinion, at least from a mass market or from a hobby market perspective, is Memoir 44. This is the Days of Wonder release from, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago now. Uh, and it's Richard, Richard Borg, of course. And it is exactly what it is. You have a, a board split up into three sections. You have cards that will allow you to determine which of those three sections you're going to activate and move troops within. And there are dozens of expansions for this game. Uh, different scenarios, different maps, different uh, troops and miniatures and all these different things you can put out there. And in the end, it is just a fantastic good time. You can play with more than two people with some of these expansions, but it is, you know, by and large, a, a two-player game. Uh, and it is it, one of the best in terms of production and, you know, lasting appeal. Okay, and our number three? Twilight Struggle, until the last couple years, was the number one game on Board Game Geek. It just dropped a little bit, thanks to some uh, legacy fun. But it, it still remains one of those just stand those one games that just do something that nobody no other game has been able to do it's asymmetrical the u.s versus the soviets and you're basically playing out the entirety of the cold war and you're trying to avoid uh, you know mutual self-destruction and it just it plays out differently every time it does take a little bit of time and there's a lot going on but just the sheer volume of different types of cards and different mechanics and different ways to win the game um, make it something really, really special. And it's it's interesting, too, because they're kind of updating the system or tweaking it a little bit and making a new game, uh, I believe, set in medieval times, I mean, the War of the Roses or something like that, um, which is coming up probably in the next year or two. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what changes or evolves from that system. But Twilight Struggle still remains kind of one of the apex. If you want a big, heavy two-player game, this is the one to go for. And our number two choice. All right, so number two... I was just going to put X-Wing, but then I thought, you know, there are like five games using this same flight path system. So let's just say flight path with X-Wing being the best among the bunch. But for those who don't like Star Wars, you've got Star Trek with Attack Wing. You've got D&D, &D, um, also Attack Wing. You have uh, the the original um, flight path system and, you know, the more realistic World War II planes. Um, but the basic idea is two people face off. They have these... Uh, you you choose your move movement in advance, and then you move your miniatures across the map and try to attack each other. <laughs> simple as that. Um, it's simple. It's easy. I could play it with my six year old, or I could play it in a tournament with a bunch of people who have spent thousands of dollars on their miniatures. You know, that's a good sign of a game, as it, if it has that kind of uh, scope. All right. So, and now our number one pick 
for the top 10 two-player games is... Seven Wonders Duel. This game is just about perfect. I mean, it takes everything you like about Seven Wonders. It distills it down. It creates this quick, accessible, relatively easy to teach two-player experience. Very quick back and forth, multiple win conditions. There's not much to say bad about this game. It's just a fantastic, fun, and it's the perfect two-player version of that original game because a two-player version that came in the box of Seven Wonders was not good. Nobody likes a dummy player. Uh, so this is fantastic. I hope there will be more expansions for it. I was not a huge fan of the Pantheon expansion. I thought it just added a little bit of bloat to the table. Um, I feel like more cards in the pool would be nice, though. Um, but as is, Seven Wonders Duel is just... It's a sublime experience, and it's short and quick and easy. Everything a two-player game needs to be. Absolutely. Even people who don't like Seven Wonders actually really love Seven Wonders Duel. And it's really surprising to see that this game does everything it can for the Seven Wonders fan, and yet bring new people into that gameplay. I know for myself, I don't get a lot of chances to play two-player games, but recently I've been focusing in on them because... You do hear such great things about them. These are beautiful works of art. They're not just normal, everyday games. These are kind of an intimate gameplay that you can kind of really focus down, whether it's more on the lighter side or the deep four or five hour side. Find your favorite partner and get these games to the table. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And if we actually sat down and played a two-player game, we would save you the second player seat at the table. <laughs>